0: Hello, critics, non-critics, and friends. Welcome to the Film Optics Podcast, brought to you by the Drive-In Podcast Network, where we discuss film, TV, and all things Hollywood here on the show. I'm your host, Christian, and I was supposed to be joined by two co-hosts today, but... One of them had an emergency, so I guess I'll just settle with Brendan Cassidy from Inception <laughs> Film. How are you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing well. Unfortunately, JD wasn't able to back me up on our feelings of Deathly Hallows <laughs> Part One. I'll have to do all the heavy heavy lifting here, but I'm doing very well. It's great to be back. Last time I was here was when Matt and I joined you to talk about the Chamber of Secrets, and even that feels like so long ago. Yes, uh, it I, is. I, I keep forgetting how long this series actually is.
0: Yeah. And I didn't really, it's like, obviously you'd know that, but when I decided to do this, I'm like, Oh crap, there's eight movies. And I'm like, okay, like, what am I going to do here? But like, it does, you know, we know the story so well. Yeah, We can just
1: blow through it. I know. Sometimes they don't even require rewatches for for some of us because they're almost in, in, embedded into our minds. Um, I will say I am slightly disappointed that I wasn't asked first to join the uh, Half-Blood Prince review.
0: I'm so sorry. <laughs> I totally forgot. It's all oh good. Oh, my
1: gosh. I think you guys had a great conversation on it. It was you, Amanda, and uh, Shorya, I believe yeah. uh, he, uh, he was. And he had some, as you put it, controversial takes on half blood prints many of which i do agree with so i'll simply say that it was really uh really great to hear you guys talk about it
0: yeah ne- next time when when in you know, one the 40th
1: anniversary comes around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah by the time when you have new <laughs> listeners <laughs> and we're walking around with canes yeah
0: we're like instead of magic God. wands <laughs> we're like 40 50 years old it's <laughs> like all right guys It's time to do another (laughs) rewatch. But, uh, yeah, before uh, we begin today, everyone out there listening, this is our continuation celebration of 20 years of movie magic with our Harry Potter movie series review. Of course, with the Deathly Hallows Part 1. And before we begin today's show, you can listen to our podcast on platforms around the internet. And if you're a new or seasoned listener to the show, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, FM Optics. That is Optics with an X. Before we get into our Deathly Hollows Part 1 review cuz who forgot how long this movie was? But oh yeah. Not going to lie, it was I just finished rewatching it beforehand. I wanted to ask <laughs> you, really, really quick for all the new listeners out there, what was your introduction to Harry Potter?
1: It was the first movie, actually. I did try reading the first book when the hype was just all the rage back in my elementary school days and I, I I couldn't really get into the book. I was my, my mind was just on so many different things, and I think when I talked about this during our Chamber of Secrets episode, I mentioned I was more into. Uh, youthful mystery novels at the time. Mm. I was reading a lot of the Hardy Boys. Jane Austen. I'm kidding. Not not Jane (laughs) Austen. I didn't even know who that was when I was in fifth grade. Uh, But it was a lot of Hardy Boys, Tom Swift, if anyone remembers who that character was, uh, things underneath the uh, Edward Stratemeyer Syndicate, as it was known as. Uh, But I saw the first movie and I was hooked. It it was sort of a turning point for me. And that got me into the book series. I got ahead of the movies by then reading all the books first after seeing that first movie. And the rest was history then.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was more of a Junie B. Jones fan myself. Uh, okay. (laughs) Yeah,
1: okay. (laughs) Oh,
0: the sillier side of things. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I, I did used to read them. It was just one of those things where... I don't know whatever teachers is like here like this is something we can read as a class and we're like oh well, yeah okay
1: <laughs> hey, all those all that stuff was fun at that time I even read a little bit of Nancy Drew at that age I did too, but again yeah. that was all part of that same syndicate I mentioned earlier and they were they were playful they were fun they were light there weren't many stakes to it but that's kind of what made them great for that age demographic
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely and for those uh listening um I was telling Brendan here, um, I <laughs> was missing two of my Harry Potter books, and I think I kind of mentioned this on the Happily Prince review, but uh, yeah, I, I don't agree with this whole... I mean, obviously, Harry Potter is a young adult fantasy. Mm-hmm. I don't think they should be in like the kid, kid section.
1: No, I think that's too superficial. Uh, yeah. I, 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 there are... I mean, for, from a from a from a superficial standpoint, they are perhaps age appropriate for younger audiences. All seven books, but I'm, there are underlying themes that are a bit uh, challenging. I'll simply mm-hmm. say, maybe not inappropriate, but challenging, and, and that's something I really like about these stories.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I've always gravitated towards like the young. um fan like the young adult fantasy i mean i'm a big fan of the uh golden compass okay. as well um so it's you know and i mean the witcher is a little bit more mature but of course then you get into things like game of thrones and mm-hmm. things of that nature like shadow and bone things things like that but yeah i just i've always gravitated towards that i haven't honestly sure. expanded my like <laughs> like novel interests to a lot of other things because i kind of just stick to it's- what i know
1: It's it's kind of fun to do that. At the same time, whenever you go to, I don't know, even like a Barnes and Noble, for instance, you kind of find yourself going down this novel rabbit hole of sorts. Uh, And at least with someone like me, my eyes are sometimes bigger than my stomach when it comes to buying books that I just don't have time to read. I'm trying to get into a lot of classic science fiction lately. I actually just read some Arthur C. Clarke. I'm reading a little bit of Robert Heinlein right now, and but that stuff is so dense that you sometimes have to reread chapters just to understand what you just read the first time. <laughs> but, but I kind of like that. I think it's really intriguing.
0: Yeah. I mean it's it's like, you know, watching, I don't know, Dune Part One again, because I had to watch mm. it again. Yeah. I enjoyed it the first time, but I wanted to watch it again to understand the lore. Or it's like it's kind of like telling someone, oh, you should watch Game of Thrones you know darn well they're not going to pick up on everything the first watch (laughs) right definitely requires a rewatch so i i do like stories like that for sure
1: yeah. And speaking of Dune, that is when I am going to try and read at some point, Ooh. hopefully before part two comes out. Um, after, Honestly, what, what provoked me was hearing how Denis Villeneuve wants to maybe turn it into a trilogy and make that third part be Dune Messiah, the second novel in Frank Herbert's series. And hearing that, I thought, OK, this might be fun to try and get ahead of the game just to see how it feels to see something that's really big like this, but sort of know the backstory beforehand so I can judge it in a different lens.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's actually a really good point cuz I I thought that he was going to turn the first book into three parts and then do Dune Messiah, but I yeah. guess it just depends because much like Harry Potter part 1 and part 2, which kind of started this whole, you know, book series trend. We see it with of course with Twilight, we saw it with um Hunger Games as well. Mm. So, it it really does work. So, are you ready? to get into our Deathly Hallows Part 1 review. Oh, yes, man, I am. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back with our Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 review right after this short break. What's wrong? Well, nothing's wrong. Not according to you, anyway.
1: If you've got something to say, don't be shy. Spit it out. All right, I'll spit it out. Don't expect me to be grateful just because now there's another damn thing we've got to find. I thought you knew what you signed up for. Yeah, I thought I did too. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't quite understand. What part of this isn't living up to your expectations? Did you think we were going to be staying in a five-star hotel, finding a horcrux every other day? You thought you'd be back with your mum by Christmas? I just thought, after all this time, we would have actually achieved something. I thought you knew what you were doing. I thought Dumbledore would have told you something worthwhile. thought you had a plan. I told you everything Dumbledore told me. And in case you haven't noticed, we have found a horcrux already. Yeah, and we're about as close to getting rid of it as we are to finding the rest of them, aren't we? Please take... Please take the horcrux. You wouldn't be saying any of this if you hadn't been worrying it all day. Do you know why I listen to that radio every night, dear? To make sure I don't
0: hear Ginny's name.
1: Or Fred. Or George. Or Mark. you think I'm not listening to? You think I don't know how this feels? No, you don't know how it feels. Your parents are dead. You have no family.
0: Stop! Stop! Finally, <clears throat> <Try throat> go! Go, then! All right, and we are back with our Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 review. Again, we got David Yates coming back to, you know, <laughs> close out. He's He's been mm-hmm. working hard, very, very hard, and... You know, we got Steve Close back as a writer, and of course J.K. Rowling as the credited um, novelist of this amazing series. And if you don't know the stars by now, <laughs> 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 Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grant, Emma Watson, etc., etc. We have there's there's so much, and of course, now we actually found this out a few days ago. They're doing a 20 year celebration. Kind of like a reunion special. Yeah, Return to Hogwarts, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I almost screamed like a schoolgirl. I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is amazing. Like, I didn't think they would ever do anything like this. And I know Chris, Christopher Columbus has been very vocal about Doing a cursed child. Oh, adaptation. I'm not looking forward to that. If
1: that ends and up I was happening, like,
0: what?
1: I'm of two minds with that. Now, if they are going to do cursed child, uh, as much as I love what Christopher Columbus did for the first Harry Potter film, especially, I don't know if he's the right director to take it on. Uh, but I, I, mean, I like the idea that it comes full circle in some ways. My issue is, I just don't care for that story. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think the story of the cursed child maybe it's better on stage. I never saw the play. But the story itself, I I don't know. It it gets into some of the things I think this uh, series has not dealt with very well. So I I don't know. We'll see. It might be fun.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know he's been very vocal about it and he was kind of showing small little tidbits of the first movie and especially how um, they got like all the letters into the Dursley's house. It was like this giant, like. Fan like there was no uh, CGI whatsoever. They just mm-hmm. dunked a bunch of letters and had this huge fan coming through the uh, chimney, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's really clever. I was like, wow, that's awesome. But yeah, yeah uh, we're talking, you know, Deathly Hollows part part one. Uh, did you get a chance to rewatch it before the episode or now?
1: Uh, I did about. <sighs> Almost a month ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I watched it around Halloween, uh, and it wasn't on HBO Max. It was actually on, um, I, I think they were playing them all on Freeform for a while, or, or something. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend and I were doing some house-sitting for her parents while they were visiting her brother's family, who also lives in Tennessee. Uh, they actually live in Knoxville. So we were doing some house-sitting, also dog-sitting, and they happened to be playing on TV, and we just kind of had them on in the background. But Deathly Hallows Part 1, I did pay more attention to just... There's an artfulness to it that I'm sure we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I get, I, and you saying free for form, God. That remembers me the uh, the ABC Family Harry Potter weekends. Was, I still
1: was, like to call it ABC Family. I
0: know, like year round, like they always had the Harry Potter uh, weekend thing going on. People would just mm-hmm. gather around. If you didn't have it on DVD or any kind of home video, that's that's where you watched it. But yeah, yeah um, I definitely got a chance to rewatch. Um, Part one, as I said earlier, and you know, I uh, as I've said before, you know, I do watch these yearly. And when it comes to part one of Deathly Hollows, like it came out when I was in my last year of high school, as a senior, so 2010, and you know, that's that's the height, the height of Harry Potter, like for everyone in that age bracket. And I, I really just like how there's, you know, as obviously these films go on, more maturity to them, but. You really just start to get the sense between Half-Blood Prince and even sometimes with Order of the Phoenix, like how serious and dark everything just kind of it just happens all around. You know, like the first opening scene, it's you know everyone leaving their homes. You have Hermione um, essentially erasing her parents' mind, which is kind of yeah. it's just it's very depressing because you know she she's sacrificing so much. Everyone. And Harry's life is sacrificing so much saying, okay, you know, this is the beginning of the end. We have to protect Harry at all costs because the dark Lord is back. Yeah, And, you know, he, he's not resting. He's, he's on the move. And, you know, we get that great. Um, I think it's, it's, I think it's at Malfoy Manor during the mm-hmm. very beginning when, um with, you know, all the death eaters and whatnot, and they're trying yeah. to figure out, Oh, you know, I heard Harry's, You know, they're moving Harry on X amount of date versus this amount of date. And then you get, you know, Snape over there kind of being all (laughs) being all sneaky about it. (laughs) He's like, oh, who's sign am I playing on? You never know. You
1: never know. Yeah. Uh, But I do like that about the film is that it does a very good job committing to the novel's sadness. Uh, And probably more so than any of its counterparts, which I really do respect about it. And David Yates does come from a very indie drama background, a very TV indie drama background. Movies like The Girl in the Cafe, for instance, a lot of them which were, I believe, made for TV movies over in England. And he's really one of those directors that, you know, we see this a lot. We see a lot of big studios hiring indie filmmakers to take on big projects and sometimes it yields really interesting results other times not so much but i think david yates is one of the best examples of it because i really do feel like he brings his his humanistic roots to this franchise and i think here it's well it's not my favorite harry potter film i think those sensibilities are on the most display in this one specifically
0: Yeah, I I have to agree there. It's not my favorite, but of course, you know, it being the beginning of the end, it does set up so much. And with essentially a two and a half hour runtime, and then I believe the last film was around two hours and 10 minutes, you know, them together, it Mm -hmm. tells this grand story. But there is a lot that goes on in this, but it is more poetic i guess you could say in a way or more like subtle it is. there's an artfulness
1: to this one and and what i like about david yates's contributions to this franchise not really counting fantastic beasts that feels a bit more corporately mandated than what's going on here i feel like wait is he directing
0: uh, uh did, did he direct fantastic beasts
1: no. he did do those fantastic beasts movies and aesthetically they do feel kind of out of place when you compare it to these movies here um but here you know he he reteams with different cinematographers for each outing. He has sometimes different composers. Here with Part One, Death of the Deathly Hallows, he's working with Eduardo Sarah as his cinematographer, mm-hmm. so it has a very different visual palette when compared to Half Blood Prince and Order of the Phoenix. He's working with Alexander Desplat as his composer, who is one of the best composers working today, if you ask me. And it creates this real, like, stark sense of melancholy. Uh, this is perhaps the most melancholic harry potter film which is what i really like about it i mentioned that it's not quite my favorite harry potter film but it might be in my top three uh and 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 this might be the i I hate controversial takes for the sake of it um (laughs) i genuinely think i like this one more than part two, if we have to separate them as experiences, primarily because well, first off, this feels more like a part one and a half, and then part half, because like there's so much that happens in this one, whereas part two, rightfully so, is really just the storm itself. We've got the calm before the storm, and then the storm. Right. But this feels like a complete experience, even though it is only half a story, uh, and and I really like that about it. It 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 really has something to say and feel.
0: Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. When you said melancholy, I think that is a perfect word for it. Um, with It's it's more of, I believe we were talking about Batman the other day, between mm-hmm. uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. I kind of see where, for Deathly Hallows Part 1, like you said, the calm before the storm, Part 2 is the more, quote-unquote, entertaining bits.
1: Yeah, and, and on, honestly, if that was more what this movie as as a whole was going for, I don't think it would have worked all that well. Uh it, we we have this calm to set up the devastation that we're gonna get in part two. And this is honestly one of those cases where I feel like what they're doing here as a film actually helps surpass some of the things in the novel. I feel like the novel was really JK Rowling so desperate to wrap this up that she just starts killing characters off left and right. And I honestly didn't really get much of a chance to feel anything for them. At least with this cinematic experience this version i feel the weight of those those deaths a lot more heavily and i think it's because they really take their time to relish in that sense of melancholy in this specific part here
0: yeah i yeah what i was again i definitely agree the whole jk rowling thing as well it's it you know during the time of the book you know it was um everyone obviously wanted to know how it ended and mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's this huge, her just like, even, even with like mad eye, like um, in the movie, obviously like you see him for, I don't know, maybe five, six minutes as mm-hmm. they're trying to transport Harry um, yeah. to the Weasleys. And, you know, they just say, Oh, like he's dead. And then um, I think that was the only character out of all of them that kind of essentially died during the very beginning to show obviously how serious everything is and really off screen as
1: well. Now, most characters in this, uh, in these two outings, part one and part two respectively do technically die off screen, but we actually see the ramifications of them in part two. Mad eye Moody's death is kind of, uh, like instantaneous and abrupt. And that's kind of what makes it weirdly more devastating And, and, and kudos to Brendan Gleeson for only having what, like, uh, four or five minutes of screen time as you said and yet he still makes him a compelling presence what does he say when he first walks into private drive something like like yeah he's, he's gorgeous why don't we try and you know just pray all over him until someone comes and murders him it's like, like the, he he still he still gives this character a bit of a i don't want to say an arc but enough personality f- uh, for us to feel something
0: bad when he actually croaks he, he really like i mean he also obviously he pushes the uh the story forward because you know, he's he's not a very sentimental person, as you can right. definitely <laughs> tell. And like Hagrid's like, Oh, you know, I'm the person who brought you here and only be right for, you know, me to be the one to take you away. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like let's let's move it. Let's go on. Like, you know, the Dark Lord's out there and whatnot. And it, it really is kind of like, you know, once they hit the Weasleys where, you know, they're trying to essentially inter- interrogate each other. Yeah. Um, you know, during that transport and RIP to Hagrid course mm, um <laughs> that that one yeah that one that one was hard that was like the only on-screen death we got like pretty i know much.
1: and it's for someone i don't want to say someone but for a character as innocent as hedwig
0: it's it's like there's nothing you can do about it yeah and i i really just like the uh you know it really just again pushes the before like the whole melancholy thing comes when during the very beginning where everyone's kind of just on edge and it's like um mm-hmm. isn't school supposed to be starting so, soon and then mm-hmm. of course you have harry who's not of age yet because he's like essentially like the baby out of all of his friends and mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like oh you know you sell the trace on you you can only use certain magical items like a broom yeah. that you know aren't traceable which they never really mentioned before in yeah. the movies, you know, like in the in the previous movies at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one does
1: avoid certain things that are very expository. Uh, it's something I actually noticed as I was rewatching all these movies uh, in preparation for these conversations here was how expository some of the dialogue was in the first half of the of this entire franchise, and then order of the phoenix comes along, you get a new director. You also get a new screenwriter, Michael Rosenberg, for that one. And I think it actually yields the best script in the entire franchise because it focuses more on dialogue rather than plot points. And then you bring Steve Cloves back for Half-Blood Prince, and it's like something awoke in him. He's like, all of a sudden, he's writing dialogue for character rather than plot. And I think that extends all the way through Death to, to Deathly Hallows Parts 1 and 2. So it avoids certain plot points, perhaps two very confusing results and that's maybe some minor issues i have with it but the way characters talk to one another i think is really where this one works best such as forgetting to celebrate harry's birthday you know little things like that you don't need it but it's kind of what's requ- what's required for these characters to interact and grow as this franchise goes
0: yeah and even with um you know when when Harry and um, Hermione after the big fight uh, with uh, with Ron, as as we heard earlier, <laughs> I was like, "Man, mm-hmm. is this is." I'm like, "This is longer than I remember." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's whatever." But you know, it's it's. I'm all, I only did it because I usually do like maybe twenty thirty minute clips. I'm like, you know what? I mean, twenty mm-hmm. thirty minute uh, second clips. I'm like, you know, it's Harry Potter's, yeah. it. but um, yeah. <laughs> it deserves all the time. It needs <laughs> sure, yeah. um, but even with uh, when, when Harry and Hermione go to Godric's Hollow, and it's kind of like she's like Harry. I think it's Christmas Eve. Like, it kind of just mm-hmm. there's so much going on. You know, they're they're yeah. they're going Horcrux hunting, and you know, trying to get um, trying to hide themselves from, you know, the Death Eaters of Voldemort, and then their Snatchers as well. So mm-hmm. there's so much around, and you know, even with the wedding, it kind of just. Everyone's just constantly on the move, but they do take, there, there are certain points within part one where it's like, okay, we're going to slow down even though, like, I mean, they move around a lot.
1: They do, and, and, and I do like the way that the film deliberately goes out of its way to avoid that exposition in moving the plot forward rather than moving the characters forward as this film does. You mentioned when... Harry and Hermione go to Godric's Hollow, there's a moment where Hermione finds this gravestone that looks like it could be very important to what they're hunting for, and then it gets completely interrupted by Harry finally finding his parents' gravestone. And it's like, it's like okay, this is that moment where I realize this movie sees character as more important. And that's what I really love about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, it, it, I mean, even with the... I mean, we, we don't really see a lot of... I mean, we see a lot of character growth between, you know, the the main three, but mm-hmm. we also see a lot of turmoil, obviously, when, you know, they stress, they're, 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 they're kind of just strung out on everything that's going on, you know, they decided mm-hmm. not to go back to Hogwarts, and even with Ron's character, you know, like, he's constantly listening to the radio, and you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of getting on Harry's nerves just a little bit, but obviously... Hermione being the more reasonable one, she's like, well, you know, th- there is a lot going on, but the r- the reason why he keeps listening to the radio is to not hear his family's name, which is very, I mean, it's depressing, but it's like, what what else can you honestly do? But I, I really like how, obviously, it is more focused on Harry, but I think so far... You know, we we've we've come so far with these characters and just the character development, even just with Ron, like I know I've seen like a lot of people in the past saying, Oh, you know, this is the one when Ron gets all pissy and like just
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, I I think this is Rupert Grint's best performance in the franchise, in this movie. I actually think, uh, if we're looking at each performance in each movie, I actually think it's one of the better performances uh, from the entire franchise, honestly. I think it's up there with what Alan Rickman's doing in Deathly Hallows Part 2. It's up there with what Tom Felton was doing in Half-Blood Prince. I think those are probably the three individual performances from individual movies that I go to most often when I think, okay, should anything from a from a performance standpoint in these movies have garnered at least some awards consideration, maybe not guaranteed nominations, but seriously contemplate on it, Uh, because I think Rupert Grint is fantastic here. Uh, And I actually think in some ways he's the unsung hero. But they all deal with this sense of melancholy and grief in different ways, which arguably makes this perhaps the closest at being a real ensemble piece. And you can almost look at this whole experience from Ron's point of view and even from Hermione's point of view. And it sort of alters the experience for the viewer a little bit.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, you're going back and forth. And obviously, you know, everyone's first instinct is like, oh, you know, Harry's a protagonist. He's always right. Like X, Y, Z. Sure. Like, well, not... Always, because yeah. you have to think about you know these side these these side characters and how they support Harry and mm-hmm. pretty much giving up you know their entire lives you know with a polyjuice potion like mm-hmm. and obviously Harry kind of stepping up saying like no you know like I I don't want anyone to risk their life for me but I don't even think Harry realizes how serious it is in some ways like he knows it's serious but yeah. it's like. It's like he refuses help. It's 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 weird because like you know he's he's obviously been having his hand held throughout the entire series. He he has, (laughs) and and
1: this is the one where I feel like he finally starts to recognize that a little bit, or at least the movie is cueing the audience in a little bit at that. This is the one that I think comes closest to sort of deconstructing the whole chosen one narrative in a way, Uh, and it shows how important Ron and especially Hermione are to Harry's success Uh, because in a lot of ways Hermione's kind of the one that figures out a lot of the puzzles along the way that Dumbledore left breadcrumbs for them for Uh, and
0: the movie's very much aware of that yeah and and talk about those breadcrumbs (laughs) man they were like sawdust pieces I they like, were what? so sneaky
1: but in a way i kind of like that's something that i feel like is i haven't read the books in a while but i feel like that's something that was slightly different in the book versus mm-hmm. the movie is that it was th- those breadcrumbs were much larger pieces of bread than they are in the movies which i think adds a bit more realism to it It, it, you know the fact that not everything could have been so planned that harry and his friends at least had to figure some stuff out themselves to make their own way Uh, and i think that contributes to the whole coming of age aspect of this whole franchise
0: yeah because i mean you know they they don't have the support system of hogwarts anymore um Mm -hmm. you know they're i mean obviously you know you have ron's parents and i mean hermione's parents honestly probably have no clue what's going on. But then again, yeah. It's, you know, you can kind of see like even with the papers that they're constantly reading, it shows, you know, like a muggle family killed and whatnot. And it's very um they they really literally are on their own. And obviously Hermione's always there to save the day. And Ron even mentions it in part one when Harry tries to leave on his own once he gets to um the new Weasley house and he's like, you know, he's like, I need to do this on my own. And Ron's like, oh I'll come with you. And then mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, he's going to leave Hermione." He's like, "Well, we're not going to last without Hermione." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like Ron's finally starting to get it. He's re- like, like you said, he's really starting to come into his own here mm-hmm. and be his own character. And I, I really like it. It's, I mean, I can kind of understand how Ron can be frustrated, but obviously with the uh, the pendant, the Horcrux.
1: Yeah, that's that's influencing him in a way that. It, it, it. Uh, well, it's it's almost like the ring, right? What right, yeah, the rings? Say, yeah, it's, it's not that it's creating this angst in him. It's simply like like enhancing that sense of angst that he's carrying as a burden, uh, and it's basically making more more light of that. It's emphasizing that further, uh, and and that's it, that negativity is really what that horcrux is doing. It's emphasizing that.
0: Yeah, and speaking of the horcrux, I I've always enjoyed the uh, I think it's around like four or five minute scene. I'm explaining what the deathly hallows are
1: oh that animated sequence yeah. yeah like yeah this is a surprisingly artful film i've used that word a few times and that sequence is stunning
0: yeah it's so like it's like who like story time you know <laughs> it is yeah
1: it almost feels kind of tim burton-esque in a way the animation style uh, but not in a way that feels like a ripoff or anything it actually still has a has a voice of its own uh, but yeah it's beautiful
0: yeah, and even with you know you, you keep seeing the Deathly Hollow symbol throughout the entire first uh, part of the uh, of the series, and even at the mm-hmm. wedding where they are just trying to have a wedding amongst all this, and it still yeah. gets interrupted, and it's yeah. like the days of even just trying to go back to some kind of normalcy are kind of yeah. over.
1: Yeah, that's what I like about this film that I feel like is well carried over from Half-Blood Prince. You realize in Half-Blood Prince, a lot of the Death Eaters really don't do anything outside of scaring our main characters. Like Some people have argued that they might be kind of silly and dumb and threatless, but that's something I kind of like about them in that movie is that they're making their presence known in a way that they're saving their their, uh, skills for later at a more important time. And that sense of threat looming in the background is always there, and they're sort of doing the same thing here with this wedding. You have characters trying to retain a sense of normalcy. In the last film, it was you know rooted in teenage romance in a John Hughes kind of way, and here it's a more sophisticated kind of way, uh, such as a wedding, as an example. Uh, and you definitely feel that battle. It's a very introspective one.
0: Yeah, and it's it's um with with the wedding and even. I, I think my favorite one of my favorite scenes, and when when I was in high school, I didn't really care for it, but obviously, you know, rewatching these, God knows how many times, um, mm-hmm. the um just just the scene between Harry and Hermione after Ron has left when they're kind the of just dancing, just the, dancing, and it shows how it just shows you know they they address in Half Blood Prince about you know the relationship between um, Hermione and. Harry, because Dumbledore was asking him, and he's yeah. like, "Oh no, you know, like we're just friends." And this really mm-hmm. kind of everyone's like, "Well, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever." This really solidified because obviously, like you know, Ron is the man who, who the friend who got out of the friend zone, essentially the boy mm-hmm. who got out of the friend yeah. zone. And you know, she uh, Hermione obviously has those strong feelings for Ron, but it, I really just like how even you know they're they're both stressed out. You know, Ron's gone. They have no clue where to find um, the Sword of Gryffindor, number one, after mm-hmm. they um, you know, received um, their last, uh, after um, Dumbledore's uh, last w- Willing uh, testament there. And yeah. it was um, kind of just, it was just nice. But When I was in high school, I was like, I do not like this at all. But now I'm like, it's, it's a nice little scene. At
1: the time, when we're younger experiencing it, we might first think, oh, this is hinting at some sense of romanticism, but it really is an—it's anything but that. Uh, And it's not because Half-Blood Prince, with that scene involving Dumbledore and Harry, goes out of its way to establish how platonic that Harry and Hermione's relationship is. No, you watch it now. There is something very platonic about that dance scene that they have together. It's more of a way of trying to distract themselves from the outside world for just a brief moment and it's it's two friends trying to do that for each other. I, I love that about it. I think the scene's great. I don't care what some book purists say about hating it. <laughs> I, I have a lot of uh, It's crazy. I have a lot of book purist friends. I, I Ooh, hate to use that really? word. That's, um, that, that's too negative because uh, they have good thoughts on some of these films as adaptations and how they sometimes don't work as adaptations. I get that. I think that's fair but they don't like this scene simply because it wasn't in the book and that's kind of a it's kind of a dull argument if you ask me I,
0: yeah because there's a lot of scenes that I mean when it comes to adaptation especially for Harry Potter it's like you have to figure out what works and what doesn't like I said on a few mm-hmm. uh, podcast episodes ago I think it was during Goblet of Fire when I asked everyone like do you think that Goblet of Fire should have been split into part one, part two, same as like Order of the Phoenix, because those are like ginormous books. Mm. And then I believe yeah, Amy Smith, yeah, Amy Smith was saying that, um, you know, like it would be cool, but like, you know, these kids are going to be like in their 30s by by the time that yeah. you know, everything gets done and is over with. So you kind of have to, you have to cut corners and not everything translates well from page onto screen. And like, you see that in Game of Thrones as well.
1: I'm one of those people that prefers adaptations that are a bit looser rather than Mm -hmm. more faithful, because if it's going to be so faithful to the point that it's like you're just seeing a visualized version of what you've already read, I'm just going to reread the book again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. and, 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 And I feel like that happens a lot with certain book fans. They tend to argue that something doesn't work in a movie because it wasn't in the book. And a lot of times their argument is it doesn't add anything and I'm using quotes around that when in actuality what they mean is it was replaced by something in the book that I actually wanted to see instead and and that happens all the time I love that sequence of Hermione and Ra- Hermione and Harry dancing uh more specifically and it also made me a big fan of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds you know because I I did not know that song beforehand I heard that song I loved it and now I'm a big Nick Cave fan
0: nice nice yeah, and it's it's so um I mean and, and it's been a while since I've reread the books myself. So I'm trying to figure out what was actually mentioned, but I just I just really enjoy how the adaptations have been. Because I have so many friends who've mm-hmm. never even read the books. We're big Harry Potter fans, and that's totally fine. It just I mean, even uh my friend Amanda, she didn't get into Harry Potter until like later, later. Like Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it is what it is, but even with, like, ugh, Hunger Games, things like that, people are like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, X, Y, and Z didn't uh, happen in the movie, therefore it's bad. And, I mean, I I read The Giver book when I was in um, – <clears throat> it's such a good book. I love that book so much. It was much. so good. But, I mean, I didn't care too much for the movie, but I'm like, you know, it's an adaptation. Maybe mm-hmm. this medium of the story isn't for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get that. I love that book so much. I, I'd actually like to read that one again at some point, just 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 for something fun, a little bit lighter, and a little bit more easier to, to digest. Uh, but as far as the Harry Potter franchise working as adaptations, I think for the most part, they do a great job. In some cases, I've actually preferred the films over their book counterparts. Sometimes they uh,
0: do too, yeah. Yeah, like, I I a lot of them
1: that were helmed by David Yates, I've actually preferred those films over their book counterparts because I think he's able to simplify a lot of things. I think about The Order of the Phoenix, for instance. That book, I think, is it's just so discombobulated, if you ask me. It's, it's so long to the point that I feel like every subplot feels equally as important, and I don't think that should be the case. The movie rightfully focuses more on... Harry's desire to become more of a leader for his fellow peers, the conflict with uh Dolores Umbridge, so I think the movie does a better job centralizing those things. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that's an example of one that surpasses its book counterpart.
0: Oh, for sure. And um, it, it's it, I so I actually did a um, <laughs> I did a book report on The Order of the Phoenix when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I failed it so hard. Oh my gosh, really? There was so much. <laughs> And I can't remember exactly what the assignment was, but it was essentially like a review of the book. And okay. my my teacher, she was like, Are you sure? I'm like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Oh. I I bombed it so hard. Like I cause oh, there's man, so sorry. much in that book. And it's like, like you said, with all the little subplots and whatnot. And like it kind of felt like I was like reading like a George R. R. Martin film a uh, book in a way, but it's like With Mm -hmm. him, it's more everything's there for a reason. But I I don't know. Maybe it was just too much for everything that was happening in Harry Potter at the time. Yeah,
1: it almost felt as if that J.K. Rowling realized that each book she's been writing has been getting longer and longer and longer. So she had to somehow find a way to keep that trajectory going. And I think... In the case of Order of the Phoenix, the book, I think that worked against her. I actually think it works very well in Goblet of Fire. That's one of my favorite books in the franchise. Same. Uh, or series. I, it, it, I'll call it series for novels. I think that's a better term for it. Mm. Uh, but I think that one rightfully earns its almost Bible-like length. Uh, and, <laughs> and it tells a great story in the process, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it really, really does. And, um, and of course, you know, it's, we're talking about Tiffany Howells Part 1. Um, we we kind of get the, um, well... I, I do really. I I hate bringing up Dobby's death because um, that that the whole mouthful and scene... It is scene, both
1: my favorite and least favorite death sequence in the whole franchise because it is so devastating.
0: It is. I mean, Bella. I'm not gonna Bella. Tricks a strange ever since you meet her, and what it's it's in. Is it in Goblet It's of in Order of the Phoenix. We order of the Phoenix. Yeah, she just goes ham, especially in. Of course, Half-Blood Prince. she's setting things on fire. God but love Helen Carter. Like, yeah. <laughs> but
1: here she's throwing knives at Hal's elves. I mean, okay, now you're taking it too far. Now, you she was pretty like, come
0: on. It's like the, I mean, you know, <laughs> the game winning pitch.
1: <laughs> not only do you kill Sirius Black, you torment Harry with it. And even before that, you performed the Cruciatus curse on Neville Longbottom's parents to the point that they suffered heavily because of it. I mean, there is nothing redeemable about this character. But that's what makes her compelling. Yeah, and she she
0: carves mud blood into uh Hermione's arm for Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, so it's I, I, I really like cause when I was re-watching it, I was like, okay, like I know X, Y, and Z happens and you know, when between Ron coming back for part one and him, you know, kind of just I guess in a way cooling off, you know, when they mm-hmm. finally find um destroy the pendant so as of right now the diary's been destroyed and then voldemort's mother's ring's been destroyed Mm -hmm. and then we have the pendant was something else or is that it was just those three
1: and this is where i think the movie does get a little confusing but the the details are actually there because in half-blood prince uh the the memory of the horcrux shows a young tom riddle saying something like um Is it possible to split the soul into, say, seven pieces? And in the book, that meant seven horcruxes. But in the movie, that alludes to six horcruxes with the seventh being his own soul himself, his own body. So that's where we destroy three in part one. And then Ron at one point says, just think, only three to go so that's where that's that,
0: why i was confused i was gonna yeah. ask you i was like wait i was sitting there counting i'm like that's, that's, Ron, a, that's a, not right
1: <laughs> that, yeah because in, in actuality it was seven horcruxes so you would think wait there's supposed to be four left but uh, we didn't because know I, at
0: the time harry was a horcrux
1: yeah but i think in the book and again it's been a while since i've read them so if one of your listeners is listening right now maybe correct me if i'm wrong you can find me at brendan j cassidy on twitter uh I could have sworn that there was this allusion to a seventh Horcrux that they didn't know what it was yet. Mm. Uh, Like, like there's something like that. Uh, But here, I feel like the movies are trying to establish that it's six Horcruxes and seven total souls, but one of those is going to be Voldemort himself.
0: And I really like the uh, going back to, you know, what Voldemort trying to figure out how to destroy Harry because Harry's wand and his wand are essentially brothers. They're, they're twins. They they came from yeah. the same being. So, I really love, I mean, just, just a chase sequence during the beginning when mm-hmm. um, when Voldemort finally, you know, they, they figure out which Harry is the real one because H- Hedwig kind of gives it away. Yeah. And then yeah. um, Hagrid kind of gets knocked out and then, you know, you hear like that high-pitched scratching noise type, like yeah it's like i like that noise because it's like it's it really shows you the pain that harry is going through instead of just being like oh you know like my 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 scar is hurting and you know i'm showing them in pain like we like we can actually hear you know the and it's it's irritating it is and it's like okay that is what has been going on in harry's head this entire time but when harry kind of gets knocked out and then he like you, like, I don't know, like, Otto, like, raises his wand, and, like, they have, like, that nice little power struggle thing. It's, like... Yeah. It's so nice. And then, of course, um, Voldemort takes uh, um, Lucius uh, Malfoy's wand, and, mm. you know, it kind of, like, goes through that little crack, and it just destroys. Like, oh, that was... Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it. It,
1: it, yeah, it's really interesting stuff. There's something very snake like about those sound effects that I think are very, very appropriate. And it, add, it, it adds to the unnerving quality of this movie. I, I often say that Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows Part One are the two that come closest to being horror films. Uh, and, and Half-Blood Prince, especially with the uh, cinematography by Bruno Delbanel, has almost like a like a gothic British horror film aesthetic to it and this one feels a bit more vast and open uh but it's still very haunting because of that.
0: Yeah, especially when they get the Godric's Hollow when they meet the woman that's kind of just like following them and Oh, and that edit when she's just standing there
1: next to them, that is really creepy. Yeah,
0: I was like uh why like for the first when I first saw it I was like who is this woman? Like this isn't yeah. the same woman from uh um, Order of the Phoenix and you know, mm-hmm. she just doesn't say a sound and then you know, she kind of gets all decrepit and it, it's Nagini, like that whole house horror thing. That was actually pretty sweet. You know, when-
1: I, it really does a great job committing to not just the sadness of the source material, but the horrific elements of what's actually going on in this world. Like This is. And This is not the kind of blockbuster sh- you see greenlit all the time nowadays. There is something very devastating and sophisticated about it. Uh this is a very hard PG thirteen, probably the hardest of any of them. But I think it's the right story to do that for.
0: Yeah, I really have we haven't seen a lot of PG thirteen this edginess. I mean, we saw it a little bit in Endgame when um um uh, yeah. else's head gets kind of chopped off, but that's yeah. A little bit there, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's so like you just, you don't get franchises like this. Yeah.
1: And it's not just what you physically see. Sometimes it's just about the overall aura of the film and, and the way that this film just feels so slow and methodical. And I, I mentioned the word haunting before that sometimes makes some of the acts of violence, even more harrowing for certain audiences to see, because it just, it leaves you with this kind of grungy feeling. And that's, but that's what I really respect about this one.
0: Yeah. It's it's like hauntingly beautiful in a way. Cause it's like, you know, things are not well, you know, these, these characters are essentially depressed. They're, they're worn out. They're tired. They're anxious. They're, they're not getting, you know, the proper sleep because they're constantly looking over their shoulder and it's just pretty much the entire movie, Harry, Ron, Hermione on the run and just trying to figure things out on the way. And, yeah. It's very stressful. Like
1: and, yeah, and I whew. still I still miss Dobby so much.
0: I oh I I I love how you know when, when they're finally catching a Malfoy manner and you you see this struggle with, with Draco himself. Mm-hmm. And and like he you know, after he, um Hermione like deforms Harry's face, mm-hmm. um he he knows it's him. It's like, dude, Ron and Hermione are standing right there, like Who else could this be? Who else is this going to be?
1: Yeah. But the point is that even though it's obvious, he still doesn't say anything, even though it's a failed attempt at, you know, weirdly protecting them. uh, It's the attempt that matters. Uh, And the the arc of Draco Malfoy from the last movie, uh, the last one being the one before this, Half-Blood Prince, into Deathly Hallows Part 2 is very interesting tom felton's doing some really interesting things even with very little lines of dialogue
0: yeah yeah and yeah like we had said and um i think sharia brought it up it's not what malthoy says in Haplet prince it's more of his actions and anytime he's on screen you can just see you know what he's battling with and right. he's like crap why was i chosen to do all of this stuff and yeah within deathly hollows it's I mean, his his family's already hung high strong enough. You know, everything was happening with Malfoy's father, and they're obviously very tied. And I believe I can. Bellatrix is related to Malfoy. Is she not? I think. Yeah, I think that's a uh, Draco's mom's sister. I believe. So is she's also Bellatrix is also related to Sirius, isn't she? Isn't he
1: in is some she? way? Yeah, uh, they they never mention it in the movie. Uh, they do mention that there is, or actually, do they mention it in Order of the Phoenix that it's her distant, it's his, it's his it's distant his, cousin? Yeah, because she's on the family tree wall. Yeah, so that's something that Order of the Phoenix never mentions. That right? Uh, it, well, they at least show it. it alludes, they, they show it. They allude to it when we find out that Beltrix Lestrange is also related to the Malfoys, and that's how Sirius is also related to the Malfoys in a in some way. Yeah, but the movies don't directly say that if i'm not mistaken.
0: Right. No, no, no. They they don't. They like you said they do allude to it and i was drawing a blank cuz i was like, oh yeah, you know that's she's malfoy's sister but i'm like she's mm-hmm. also related to Sirius in some way shape or form.
1: Yeah. I think that's Draco's
0: aunt. I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. Uh, again,
1: listeners, correct me if i'm wrong. It's been a while since i've uh read all of this stuff and i think a lot of that's more
0: elaborated on in the novels. Yeah, and uh, as much as i like if i could I would like reread them every single year. It's just <laughs> all these movies, man. I swear, it's like and it's award season. It's like my friends like, oh, have you check, checked out Arcane yet? I'm like, no, but I want to. <laughs> it looks amazing. I actually have finished one episode and I want to keep watching, but it's like we rarely like at during this time. It's like you can rarely watch something just for pleasure because I know. It's so I'm annoying. Like, I'll get to it eventually, you yeah, know. Unless January. it's Harry
1: Potter, and then we can watch something for think, pleasure.
0: Ex- exactly. <laughs> it's like so. That's yeah. when you make your own movie. Seriously, like, you know what? We're gonna make this okay. We're gonna yeah. put this in the schedule. But yeah, I um for yeah for um for Strange, like even her kind of just interrogating Hermione and like that screech, that scream that she lets out. Hmm. I was like, it. It always sends like chills down my spine because you don't necessarily see it. You kind of see her. I thought she was kind of like sucking the blood out of her, or whatever. But yeah, she was
1: like acting all v- like vampira on her yeah. or
0: something. It was it was it was really weird. Weird in a good way, but really weird because you don't like physically see it until after, and it's like it just says mud blood, and you know yeah. there, there's a lot of you know, and of course with all the melancholy stuff, there is the funny. You know, the, oh, the a small little yeah. things. But like we said in Half-Blood Prince, it's that movie is still extremely funny. But mm-hmm. I would have to say for Deadly Hallows Part 1, probably my favorite part is when they're infiltrating the Ministry of Magic. And oh, then- yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Ron, Ron you don't have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? My wife's all alone downstairs.
1: <laughs> I often think about the actors who have to play these other characters but still in, in as these characters they were hired to play in the first place it's like this weird concoction how awkward that must be on set
0: yeah i mean but even with the mouth movement it was pretty it was pretty spot on like it didn't feel out of place
1: yeah i'm guessing these actors probably have to deliver the lines of dialogue themselves and then it's probably in post-production is when you mm-hmm. have daniel rupert and emma coming back into to try and match it in some way that they, they can that's most appropriate
0: yeah yeah because even with harry's like multiple apologies potion it was it was pretty spot on but yeah that was yeah. definitely you know they just they just these these three like witches and wizards and you know trying to go into the ministry of magic in the uh um, yeah. in the toilet <laughs> oh and, gosh <laughs> It's so whimsical. It's so He's weird. Like it's but disgusting. It. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> and, and that's
1: and that's what I like about these movies, especially when David Yates came on board, is that he was, there are certain movies in this franchise that got either more whimsical and some a bit more grounded. But David mm. Yates, I think, did a great job kind of bridging those two tones and aesthetics together in a way that really felt seamless. And oh, yeah. I think this one and Half-Blood Prince, Order of the Phoenix as well, they, they, even part two, definitely house part two, even despite that being mostly spectacle,
0: these all do that
1: very well. I, he, he's a very good director, at least working with this material.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great how he's able to balance the, the serious with the funny. It's, it's not all jokes, but when, you know, and sometimes they kind of pop up and <laughs> you have, um, oh my gosh, uh, I think it was, it was, it, it was either Fred or George right before the wedding when Ginny uh, and Harry are kind of like sharing a moment, and, then he just sits- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he just sits. I think it was his- Fr- I think it was Fred because
1: it wasn't it wasn't it Fred the one that suffered the ear injury. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he's just
0: sitting there like, <laughs> "What's up?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like giving Harry. Like, he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." It's like that's my sister, yo. <laughs> but it's like it's it like more so he was like. Like obviously you know it's Harry and he's like okay I, I see you guys over there you know noodling mm-hmm. about but yeah the you know the the humor the British humor of course is it's always there and it, it and it's always welcome so it's, yeah it's very awkward in a way that I really like it's it's so dry it's like the driest humor humor in the world but it's so mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. it really is gotta I, gotta I love it but um yeah um sorry my voice is kind of giving out here but I wanted to. Uh, i throw it back to you to see if there was anything else you wanted to bring up for our Deathly Hallows part one review before we close out. I
1: will say a few things. This is the one and I get that it's a long movie. There's so much to cram in already, but have you seen the uh, deleted scenes for this one specifically?
0: I, I have um, one in particular was the extended scene with Dudley during the very beginning.
1: Yeah. There's also the extended scene with, um, uh, Aunt Petunia. Uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. There's also the one moment that uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione have in the tent where Ron realizes the name Voldemort is taboo. That if they say it, that's what triggers people to know where they are. Um, that's right. Yeah. So there's there are little things like that that I kind of wish – I really wish that this movie found a way to include them. Uh, it, it's not not that it's messy or anything without it, but some of those sequences, especially with the, uh, the Dursley saying goodbye to them – like that's a really tender scene that Harry has with Dudley when he says, "You're not a... Wa- I don't think you're a waste of space," uh, and I wish they were able to find some way to make it work. I, I don't know why. Maybe there were some post production issues that you know prevented that from happening. Uh, but I I wanted to make note of that. That I feel like this is the one that has the biggest fault in forgoing certain things that I really wish made it into the final cut.
0: Yeah, because we don't really see a lot of. Um... There's not a lot of extended cuts for this. I think there is one for Sorcerer's Stone and for Chamber of Secrets, but it's only like an extra scene or two.
1: Yeah, there is, if you watch it on television, this one specifically, some of those sequences like the one where harry and aunt petunia have together in the house before they say goodbye that's in the extended cut on television uh, oh and, yeah okay. it, it wasn't in the theatrical cut if i'm not mistaken uh where she says um you didn't just lose a mother that night i lost a sister uh, and i think that's a great scene but mm. that one i like, the work had already been done i feel like that one was way easier to reinsert in post-production um, but some of these other ones were just too unfinished. Uh, but yeah, some of these did make it to some extent cut on television. I don't know if it exists anywhere physically.
0: Yeah, I don't think it does either because they just re-released... I mean, it, uh, even though you know we're celebrating 20 years of magic, it's they, they've really been pushing, obviously, the first film because it's the 20th anniversary of the first film. Yeah. Which, you know, it's fine, but obviously, you know, you, when it comes to Harry Potter, you can't just... You can't just watch one. (laughs) You can't. No, you got to watch watch them all.
1: all. (laughs) And and unfortunately, you notice some of these little small things that you can nitpick. uh, And even if you want to call them nitpicks, I don't even know if that's a fair word for it. But I often think about at the end, at Malfoy Manor, that final confrontation before the end of the movie, we find out that, well, we find this out in part two, that the way that Harry earns the right to the Elder Wand is because he disarms Malfoy in Malfoy Mm -hmm. Manor. But here, if you notice, the way he disarms him is by simply just running up to him and grabbing his (laughs) wand, (laughs) Yeah, which I don't think is right. That that feels like like morally incorrect. Uh, I just I don't buy that the Elder Wand would change its allegiance for an action like that. (laughs)
0: It's (laughs) It's like, hey, bro, you fought me for it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, so that's a little I think that was a little clumsy, uh, just the way that that's executed.
0: Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, when within the uh, the books, I'm sure it's like I said, it's it's been a while. I I really mm-hmm. it is like even this this rewatch series has been edging me to just re reread the books again. But it's sure. like I just don't have any, Like I started re- uh, rewatch uh, re reading um the Golden Compass. Okay, got halfway through, and then I started reading one of the Witcher books, <laughs> and I got a little oh, halfway wow. through. So I'm like, I I have all this unfinished stuff. So I'm like. There's there's never enough time in the day.
1: There's never enough time, but if there's ever a bright side, you're never gonna run out of material to en- and entertain yourself with.
0: That that is very true. It's like I have it for when I'm bored, for yeah. when I need it. It's there. I mean, it's I always have there. Harry Potter books on audio. So it's yeah, okay. It's it's great stuff. You know, I, yeah. I, I just love you know experiencing it in different in different ways for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, pretty much. Uh, I guess closing thoughts for me. Uh, R.I.P. Dobby again. Yeah. It really just kills me every time because it, it's, I, I think it is the same voice actor from. It's not. I actually looked that up. It is How's someone,
1: it is someone slightly different. I think uh, actually now, okay. that we're, now that we're mentioning this, I'm going to look this up, but if you want to continue your uh, closing thoughts there, I,
0: I, I'm i going to look this up quickly. Oh okay, no, you're fine. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it, it is like we said, it's a come before the storm. It is. It's just, I love how mature and how hauntingly beautiful and like, Brendan said very melancholy this this film is just because even everything with like Luna's father you know how desperate she he is to get his Mm. daughter back and it's you know the, the severity of it and it's you know like it is like it's it's coming like we we are we are near the end of this this grand adventure yeah and it's 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 a bittersweet thing, cause it. But I it's I've always and I kind of mentioned it in our *Half Blood Prince* review. You would you would think. Oh, go ahead. It was the same actor for, was? Uh, okay. for for Dobby.
1: it Apparently, it was Toby Jones for both uh *Chamber of Secrets* and uh *Deathly Hallows Part One*. Where I was getting confused was that we actually get a different actor playing um uh, sure? the Goblin from Gringotts.
0: Oh yeah 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 yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's that's a different actor. We because uh, right. I think it was Vern Troyer in Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. And I think it was, I'm just trying to remember off, off the bat here. I think it was the same actor that played Flitwick that also played, uh,
0: yeah, uh, uh, the <laughs> goblin. Then
1: again, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anyone listening? Uh, and i and I might learn my mistake by the time this airs, but, but uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I thought it was someone different for Dobby, but I guess it was the same actor. I'm I'm gonna look this up further, so you can keep talking.
0: No, oh, okay, no, yeah, so yeah, it's it's um, it's everything with with Dobby and just the the entire story itself, like it, like, and everyone always asks, you know, like what what is your favorite like film franchise of all time? And I like for the longest time I didn't know because I mean, obviously Harry Potter I've always rewatched, but it's like. I didn't know what they meant by favorite. Was it the one that I can kind of just turn on in the background mm-hmm. and do whatever, whatever, or is it just the one that I thoroughly just enjoy the adventure? But you know, after weeks and weeks of re, you know, reviewing these on the podcast, like I mean, Harry Potter's always been there for me, so it, yeah. it is unequivocally Harry Potter, one hundred percent, with all of its flaws. Um, oh and yeah, every, you know, it's they're, but it's they're not so, perfect, but that's fine. Yeah and I mean what unless you're Lord of the Rings what what film <laughs> what film <laughs> franchise is <laughs> What film franchise is to be completely honest with you but you know just just the love and care you know JK has brought you know into so many people's lives when mm-hmm. it, it's just you know I I've, I've known a lot of people who've gone through a tough time and you know Harry Potter was was kind of there to you know comfort them and um get you know h- help them get through those uh those tough times but you know definitely hollows part 1 it's it is where we're, we're near the end it's yeah. um <laughs> every time it's it just it kills me every time i just it, i love how grand and just it's it's a very daunting film but it's also very beautiful because it is very beautiful. Like the
1: cinematography here is gorgeous. It's one of the best looking Harry Potter films. If you ask me.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I love that they're very artful. They take themselves very seriously, despite them being commercial blockbusters of a sort.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean Warner brothers is going to be milking the Sid the day. I don't know, but you know, we're getting mm-hmm. the 20, uh, 20th anniversary. Um, type, cel- reunion type celebration thing. So um, I was, so I read into it. I mean, it's a lot of people are going to be involved in this, but I don't believe J.K. Rowling will be there um, for recent events, <clears throat> excuse sure. me, within these past uh, few years, honestly and for, pro- probably just for the best, to be completely honest. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm very excited for that. Um, don't know how long it's going to be, but I, yeah. I like these i like these reunion things that they're doing i just i mean they're essentially a trend right now because this is the third one that warner brothers is pop, pop, pumping out because they did one for friends right they did one for fresh prince which i actually like that one better than okay from friends okay. uh just because it was more intimate and not yeah, yeah but i then, didn't i didn't watch the fresh prince one i did watch the
1: friends reunion and i thought it was i thought it was okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I felt something weirdly disingenuous about it. There, like, even when they're being interviewed by James
0: Gordon or Cor- Gordon, I believe it was it, something about it felt
1: scripted. Like it just, no, it yeah. didn't feel authentic.
0: Yeah. I, I, I encourage you to watch the fresh Prince reunion uh, reunion. It's, it's okay. just, it's very wholesome and very just, you know, it's, it's literally only, you know, the actors and actresses on set, you know, they kind of walk in one by one. They have not seen each other and. Mm-hmm. God knows, how, I'm not sure how it is is with friends, but there's just more. It felt more of a sense of like family and community sure. for the Fresh Prince over uh, the Friends one, because the Friends one felt more like a celebration, and then uh, mm-hmm. the Fresh Prince felt more like a reunion, essentially. Yeah, like an true. actual reunion. So yeah, um, you know, we'll we'll see what the Harry Potter one brings. So I think that comes out January first. I think so. That's how we ring in the new year. Yeah, hungover. (laughs) hungover.
1: (laughs) Happy new year indeed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll be in my bedroom doing absolutely nothing. There you go. (laughs) But um, my gosh, you know, it's sad that JD wasn't here with us to help us close out. But hey, you know, um, I believe he's going to be on for part two. I think that's so. great. Yeah.
1: And I know he is a big fan of part one. I I don't want to speak for him, but I do think he also I mean, again, if we're ranking part one and part two as individual films, which might not really be fair to do, I think he also slightly prefers part one over part two for a, a lot of the same reasons we talked about here. He and I think alike on apparently everything We rarely <laughs> ever argue. And that's kind of an in joke with us and all, as well as all of our listeners at In Session Film. Uh, but in this case, I think he and I are kind of in sync on Deathly Hallows Part 1. Okay.
0: Actually, so I lied. It's Jay Ledbetter. Oh, the up. other Jay. Not, <laughs> not JD. See, I'm getting everyone's name. I called GJD on the other podcast. It's crazy. Yeah. It's Are you getting Ryan for that one as well? Yeah. So it's Ryan, okay. Jay Ledbetter. I told him he's going to come on this podcast and talk here. It, it would be a huge disservice not mm-hmm. To have him on because I
1: know he's a big yeah. Harry
0: Potter fan. As well. Yeah,
1: because you had Ryan on as well at least once. It was for prisoner of Azkaban, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Jay was supposed to come on for ooh, I think it was Order of the Phoenix. Um, either Order of the Phoenix or um Goblet of Fire, but he wasn't able to, so mm-hmm. I was like, Yeah, I mean, you know, like I'll I'll try to have you on and whatnot. So yeah, it'll be Nicole Ackman, Ryan, and Jay Labbetter. Oh man, you're getting the extra film boys from extra <laughs> <Yeah>. film. <laughs> my my dream was to get the entire in session and extra film on at least one of the last two. But okay, it, yeah, good thing it wasn't on the same
1: episode, otherwise you'd be dealing with a three hour show.
0: <laughs> you know what? There's no better way to close out Harry Potter. To be completely honest, that's fair. <laughs> that's actually a good point. <laughs> but yeah again thank you so much brandon for coming on you know it's 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 been an honor you know it's been a pleasure having you on but definitely love to have you on for whatever other future episodes you know uh we we may do here on the show yeah i'd love to um but uh, i just want to give the chance for you to let everyone know where they can find you on the internet And what is coming up on In Session Film Podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So everything you can find with us is at InSessionFilm.com. All of our written content, which includes some of your great work as well, Christian. Uh, And our podcast content, you can find the main show there uh, where myself and Judy Duran review mostly a new release. Maybe a few movie series in there that we find time for. Uh, We just wrapped up talking about both Belfast, Kenneth Branagh's new film, as well as Passing, the Rebecca Hall film starring Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega. So we had a bit of a black and white themed episode of sorts. (laughs) Um, This weekend, we're planning on talking about King Richard, which should be a lot of fun. We're getting heavily in the swing of Oscar season. So that's what you can find there on the main show with myself and J.D. Duran. We also have our extra film episodes with uh ryan McQuaid and jay ledbetter they talk about smaller films indies as well as old movie series with certain directors and genre movements and things like that they're currently in the middle of their sergio leone movie series yeah they,
0: yeah see i've been listening <laughs> to that one and oh man i never watched them but like half of the films that they Oof. talk one extra film i've never watched but i just enjoy the conversation the conversations
1: are great. I, I will say, if you start anywhere, if you've never seen some of the films they talk about in a lot of their uh, respective movie series. Definitely do Leone, because you'll hear a lot of things in those movies that you will recognize from other movies. Like if you watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, mm. and you hear that musical theme, you'll be thinking, oh, Quentin Tarantino used this so much. Yeah. I've know, i I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah, so it's great stuff. But yeah, everything you can find there at InceptionFilm.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Brendan J. Cassidy for all the crazy tweets I do.
0: All right. Yeah. And of course, um, all that information of uh, the website and Brendan's um, Twitter page is all in.